Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray that God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. It's 2020, and it is a big year for my family in 2020. Our marriage turns 20 years old, which is a big deal. If you ever have been married, you know it takes a long time to get to 20 years. Our daughter turns 18 in like three weeks, and she's about to graduate high school, and I am, can hardly believe how fast the time, and I don't know if you've ever had a child graduate, but it can be an emotional roller coaster. But the week before winter break, I was reminded of some of the things I'm going to be glad that high school is over or school is over for her, at least one of my children, because it's 7, it was like 6.45 in the morning, I'm laying in bed hitting the snooze button just thinking, I might skip a shower this morning. I just, who cares? I'll get to work a little late. And all of a sudden, an alarm went off on my phone that said, bake sale. And I realized that I had about 17 minutes to make three batches of Rice Krispie treats and two loaves of banana bread, which is not possible in that amount of time. (laughs) I don't know if you've ever tried to do it. But I get up, I scramble, I'm like just making my kids late, everyone's late, and I just started to think about the years as a mom that I have started off so strong. Like August comes and school starts and I love school supplies and I'm like labeling everything and the snack pantry is filled with organic sliced everything and it looks beautiful. And then October comes and I'm like, eh, just buy that bag of Doritos or whatever comes and you just see the progression throughout the school year. If you've ever had kids in school, you know what I'm talking about. We start strong and about May comes and we are just limping across the finish line. Just forge my name on the reading log. It doesn't matter because all we have to do is get to May 23rd when all of this is over. Um, But we've all been there. We start out situations, maybe new jobs, new seasons, and we have so many grand plans. We are just ready to run after it. And we we have everything labeled. We buy our new journal. We get our word for the year. We are just ready to go. And what happens many times when the time progresses, we find ourselves in situations where partway along that journey, we're not quite running with the same fervor and the same gusto that we started with. Have you been there? It's not fun, but it's funny when it's school lunches, and it's funny when maybe it's something silly like that bake sale, but it's not funny when it comes to the purpose of our lives and the plan that God has for you and I. And whether you realize it or not, you are in a race. You are uniquely wired. You have been designed by your creator with giftings and talent that no one else has. You have a DNA that no one else has, and you are called on this earth for a purpose that no one else has. Hebrews 12.1 says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. And here's what we need to know. We are in a race, and it's not just our race for our life, and our life is in this vacuum. We are part of a grand relay. Just before this passage in Hebrews, the Bible walks through all of the heroes of faith, 
the people who have gone before us and who played their part in God's story. And then it goes on to say, now you, you're in a race, you run. You and I are part of that grand relay. When we said yes to Jesus, the baton was handed to us and we were given a purpose to expand his kingdom and expand his family. No matter what your job is, no matter what your career looks like, no matter what your family looks like, you have a part to play in the story that God is writing on this earth. And his heart and his purpose and his passion since day one has been that everyone, all of humanity, every person would come into relationship with him because of what he he sent his son Jesus to do it and he gave us the mission to spread that throughout the earth. And we're a part of that. And we have to run with that, that awareness and that mindset. Paul talked about it more than anyone else in scripture. He talked about this race that we're called to run. In 1 Corinthians 9, 24 to 27, here's my paraphrase. You're in a race, whether you know it or not, run to win. We have to be aware of the mindset that we must have if we're gonna rent, win the race that God has called us to run. And we have to approach each new season with a mentality to run, like we read in Hebrews, there is a cloud of witnesses cheering us on. We have the Spirit of God in us, but there is a warning in there. There's a warning that says there are gonna be things that make it hard. There are gonna be things that can come along to slow you down, that can make you stuck, that can trip you up, that can even sideline you from your race. So you have to run with an awareness, with a mindset that says, I know what I'm getting into, and I have to run in a way that lets me run with endurance to finish the race that God's called me to do. And we're all in a new season. January comes, and I think it's really exciting when we, we begin a new year in a new season. But I've talked to so many of you throughout the last few months, and I've heard stories and stories and stories of people in new seasons in their lives, whether they're stepping into parenthood or they're stepping out of jobs into retirement. Wherever you find yourself, I've talked to so many of you that are in transition right now, and you're beginning new seasons. And if you're not in a new season now, hold on, because a new one will be coming. But even as a church, Pastor Preston shared where we're at. We're at a new season in our church. God's given us a huge vision, a big mandate that he can't do on his own, and he's not called to do it. We're called to do it. We're called to step in and run with him. If 20,000 people in this valley are going to come to know Jesus, you and I are going to have to be a part of it. And if we're going to run, we have to run with an awareness that there, is, there are things out there that can trip us up, that can weigh us down. And that's why I titled this message, you'll see it in your notes, Drop the Weight. Because the enemy comes in anytime there is a big vision and a big plan and a big purpose for our lives. He comes in with predictable schemes time and time again to slow us down. And oftentimes we'll run, into ma- we'll run into big roadblocks in our lives, but it's those subtle, sneaky, predictable ways he comes in that we don't even realize that and we find ourselves slowing down, even getting stuck. So we're going to talk today about four weights that can slow us down. Four weights. And we're going to look at the life of Apost- the Apostle Paul because he talked about this more than anyone. Acts 20, 24 says this, however... Paul, it's about Paul. I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. He knew his mission, and he was obsessed with completing it. So if we're going to be like him, we can look at his life, and we can pick up some wisdom from his life, and we're going to look at four weights that you and I can drop so that we can run with endurance the race set before us. The first one is this, I must drop the weight of distraction. And more than ever before, we live in a world that is full of noise. 
We live in a world that is just things are coming at us. Information is coming at light speed to us. We can access noise through apps, through TV, through social media, through the news. Everywhere you can get it, we have the ability to have distraction. There's places to look all around us. And I was trying to explain to my kids the other day about the good old days. You might know them. Remember on a Friday night when you would just decide, I want to watch a movie. So you'd get in your car and you'd go to this little place called Blockbuster Video. And you'd walk through the aisles and you would just like pray that when you got to the movie that you wanted, that there would be enough copies of that movie. But it wasn't that you could, like now you can watch any movie. A million people could be watching the movie. It doesn't matter. And they're like, what? I have no framework for this reality because that's not the reality we live in today. We live in a world that is so full of noise and so full of distractions. Look at that word, distraction. What is traction? It's us, it's cause, traction is what causes us to move forward. The energy and the effort that we expend propels us forward when we have traction. If we don't have traction, what are we doing? We're just what? Spinning our wheels in life. It's like being on that proverbial treadmill where we're just running and we're sweating and it's hard, but we're never getting anywhere. But if we begin to look at our life and realize that the enemy comes in and those distractions, those things in our lives that are vying for our attention really are a scheme of the enemy if we're not careful to slow us down and await us from what God's called us to do. In distraction, distraction steals my focus. It's in your notes. And there's a couple things we can be distracted by. The first thing is we can be distracted by the past. And for all of us, it's easy to get preoccupied with where we've been, right? Whether it's good or bad. We can be preoccupied with how amazing we used to be. You know, the good old high school days when I was awesome. Or a big business success. Or what life used to be like. And we can also be distracted by the ways that we've got it wrong. Screwed it up. Messed it up. We can't, like, we can't get past where we should have gone this way, should have made this turn, should have done these things, and it can begin to consume us if we're not careful. And Paul says this in Philippians 3.13, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And he had every reason to look back. The first half of his life, he spent persecuting and killing Christians. He could look back and be like, gosh, if I, wasn't, if I hadn't done this, if I hadn't made this mistake, how many of these people did I hurt? And he could have been weighted down by shame. Where he could have rested on the fact that he was one of the greatest apostles that ever lived. He was writing letters to the churches. He was on missions. He was doing these miraculous things. And he could have been like, I am pretty awesome. But he says, no, none of that matters. Because if I look back, I won't move forward. And so if we're going to move forward, we cannot be weighted by the weight of distraction. And the second thing we can't be distracted by is the present. The present. And there are circumstances in your life right now that are clamoring for your attention. Right now. And we have to begin to see the difference between what is urgent and what is important. All day long, you'll have things that come, and they seem urgent. We have to do this now. Here's a deadline. This is, this is, this is really necessary. Call, call me back right now. Text me. All of a sudden, you can just text someone, and we ha- like, you have to respond to every text or you're rude. Like, 
There was a time when you didn't even have to answer your phone and you didn't even know who called. But now, <laughs> everything is urgent and everything is on a timeline. And if we're not careful, we run out of attention and we're left with nothing. Because we've given our focus to what is urgent and we have nothing left when what is important comes along. Acts 16 tells the story of a time that Paul was out spreading the message of Jesus and this demon-possessed woman comes up and she starts getting in his face and in verse 17 it says this, she followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. Sounds great. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to her, said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her and at the, that moment the spirit left her. And much like those urgent but unimportant things in our life, this woman was just vying for his attention. What she was saying sounded great, but what was happening was she was distracting him from the call of God on, of, that he was walking out. And so what did he do? He shut her down. And we have to be ruthless just like that. We have to look at our time. We have to look at our focus and be ruthless with our attention. Because the enemy comes in to distract us and take our attention off what is important and place it on what is urgent and loud and in our face. And the third thing we are not to be distracted by is the future. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, isn't looking to the future exactly what I'm supposed to be doing? If I'm not looking back, shouldn't I be looking ahead? And yes, in theory, that is true. But what we're looking ahead at is really important because if you are off by one degree and your focal point is on the wrong thing, it is easy for us to get off course. Easy for us to get off course and it's easy to be consumed with the unknown that lies ahead and you'll find yourself, if you're being distracted by the future, you'll find yourself thinking through things like this. What if? How's it gonna happen? When's it gonna happen? What am I gonna do when I get there? And these questions can begin to steal our attention and steal our focus and really, mess us up and sideline us. James 4.13, Paul says this, now listen to you who say, today or tomorrow we'll go to this city or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, make money. Well, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. We have to be looking ahead, but we are supposed to be looking ahead, fixing our eyes on Jesus. Fixing our eyes. He is our focal point. He is the person that we, is calling us and leading us. And as we put that focal point in front of us, our, our course will always be on track. Psalms 127, 1-2 says this, Unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand watch in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. What's he saying? All of this stuff of life, the cares of the future, the things that keep us up at night, that we're wondering what's going to happen, give it to him. Unless he's involved in it, unless he's calling you to it, it is not going to lead you to the destination that he's designed you to walk, run towards. We have to be ruthless with our attention. And so every weight that as we go through these four weights that I ask you to drop, that I feel like God's speaking to each one of us to drop, we're going to talk about a practice or a habit to pick up, okay? So we're going to drop the weight, we're going to pick up the practice, and this is the practice we're going to pick up when it comes to distraction. We're going to drop distraction, and we're going to pick up the practice of monitoring our yeses. It's a simple practice. It seems uber practical, but I hope when you walk, walk away from this message, it'll stick in your mind. So here's what I want you to see. You only have so many yeses. 
Every time someone asks for your attention, every time you give your attention, you're giving some of your focus. You're giving away your attention. And whether we like to admit it or not, we are human and our time and our focus is finite. We only have so much. So as we spend it by saying yes to things that may be urgent and seem really, really necessary to do right now but aren't important, we begin to give these things away to the careless worries of the past or the future. We run out of yeses to give to him when he calls us to run forward. So that is something that we can do on a weekly basis. How am I managing my yeses? Where am I giving them to? And if we're careful and if we run with a mindset that we want to win, we will know, just like Paul, that we have to be ruthless with our attention and give it to what God asks of us and not waste it in areas that are really just distractions. So that's the first weight. Drop the weight of distraction. The second one is we must drop the weight of disappointment. And just like the word distraction, I want you to see this word disappointment. Think about this. When I put something in my calendar for 12 o'clock on Thursday, I'm going to meet you for lunch, we're going to discuss X, Y, Z, and I come to the lunch on Thursday, and you don't arrive, what happens? I haven't made, you, you didn't make the appointment, the appointment didn't happen, what am I? I am disappointed. And there are, there are mindsets that we have and thought processes that we have where we begin to expect things in our life to happen a certain way. We expect outcomes. We expect certain appointments. When I'm 35, I'm going to be married with kids, and I'm going to have this job, and it's going to happen just like this, appointment missed. Or my career is going to happen on this trajectory, and I see how it's going to work, or I believe God's called me to ministry, and I know he's called me to speak, and so I should be doing this at this time. And we begin to put these appointments in our mind of expectations that we believe should happen. And if we're not careful... Disappointment has the power to steal our faith. Think about it. Disappointment comes to every single one of us. There is none of us exempt from it. Times that people let us down. Times we thought something was going to work out a certain way, and it just didn't happen. And we begin to wonder, did I, what, did I miss God? I don't know what's happening. God, did, is your promise true? We begin to sometimes even feel stood up by God. God, you missed it. You missed it. You didn't come through like I thought you were going to come through, God. And disappointment sets in, and it can sideline you because it steals your faith. And Paul experienced huge hardships, huge disappointments in his ministry. In 2 Timothy's recounting this time, he says this, At my first defense, no one supported me, but all deserted me. The people that he had given to and served and written letters to, he thought they were with him, he thought they were in his corner, but they all deserted him. Can you imagine the disappointment? He's got this mission to spread the good news of Jesus to all the Gentiles. And everybody left him. And he says, may it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood with me and he strengthened me so that through me the proclamation might be fully accomplished and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was rescued out of the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and he will bring me safely to his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Here's the question. Is my faith in the outcomes of my life or is my faith in my God? Where is it? 
People will let you down. Life is going to happen, and it is, there's times that we cannot plan. We're going to miss appointments. Things aren't going to happen on the trajectory that we wanted them to happen, and it's going to hurt. But if our faith is in the outcomes that we see, disappointment will settle in, and it will weigh us down, and it will take the wind out of our sails. Romans 8, 28 says this, And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Greater than the circumstances that disappoint me is the truth that reminds me that God is good and he is always at work in my life. If you're here today and you've experienced disappointment, I want to remind you that the outcome that you thought should happen may not have happened, but God is good. And behind the scenes right now, in the midst of your disappointment, he's at work. He is moving things around. He is changing hearts. He is aligning situations. He's doing a work in you. He's doing a work around you, and he is working it all together for your good. And if you don't know Jesus, that's my best favorite thing about him, is that he's with us in every circumstance, in the good times, in the bad times. He is at work in our lives to bring all things together for the good of those who love him. Disappointment doesn't have to weigh us down. It doesn't. So here's the, the practice that we're going to pick up. If we're going to lay down the weight of disappointment and drop it, we're going to pick up the practice of assessing our expectations on a regular basis. What as you're praying, as you're trusting God for things, as you're looking ahead to your new year, are you putting your faith in outcomes that this will happen at this time, this appointment will happen the way I think it should happen, or is my faith in God? How do I adjust? Well, if I find that my, my faith is in an outcome, so maybe, God, I want you, I need this job. God, I need you to get me this job. I need this interview to go well. You come, the interview doesn't go well. What happens? Well, your faith was in the outcome. But instead, if your prayer is, God, I'm trusting you to guide my steps. I'm trusting you to order my steps. I'm trusting you to provide for me in the meantime. Then our faith is in God. Does that make sense? So it's a slight adjustment, but it's a powerful one. Is my faith in the outcome or is my faith in God? Are my prayers about an outcome or are my prayers about God working and moving in my life? And we have to make that adjustment so disappointment doesn't set in and slow us down. And the third weight that we have to drop is the weight of discord. And you can think about when we, we have disappointment, distraction, discord. You can think about chord in one of two ways. You can think about a musical chord, right? Notes coming together and sounding beautiful, the, the melody and the music that we know. Or you can think about a chord, a braided rope that comes together that's strong. And it's more than one chord that strengthens it, right? Well, let me tell you this. I can know without the shadow of a doubt that Brad and I are doing something great and, and, and God is moving in our lives when we begin. Because almost every time, almost every time, there will be a reason, an excuse, a moment to have a knockdown, drag-out fight. And it is, it's almost like clockwork. Like, I know. Oh, we must be doing something great for God because you are a jerk right now, Okay. <laughs> But it's true, when we, the enemy, if he can come into our lives and cause us to look away from where we're headed, away from what God's called us to do, and come into strife and discord with the people in our lives, he has easily taken us out. Easily. Easily. It's so easy. 
And we fall prey to it so often, right? Something happens and we get so frustrated with the people and hurt with the people in our lives. We carry that immediately. We take our attention off the race that we have because we, why? Because discord steals our peace and our power. We don't have peace when we have strife in our lives, right? And we don't have power because really that's the enemy's plan is to divide and isolate us. James 3.16, Paul says this, For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Confusion. Are you confused right now? Do you not know which way to go? Do you have decisions to make and you're not sure what decision to make? Is there discord in your life? Maybe stop and check that out. Are there relationships that are broken that you need to go and mend? Because until you do, there will be confusion and every evil thing. He loves to bring discord. 1 Corinthians 1.10, he says, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be made complete in the same mind and in the same judgment. No division. Jesus told us offenses will come. Things are going to happen. People are going to hurt you. And you can carry that around like a weight and a reason to be, to not trust anyone anymore, to to be hurt, to be broken. You can do that, but it's going to weigh you down. It's going to cost you. It's going to cost you your speed. It's going to cost you your breath. It's going to cost you your pace because discord is a weight that we can't afford to carry. We can't. Acts 6, 7 says this, Then the word of God spread, and the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient in the faith. Here's what we need to know. The kingdom of God, God's way of living, is about multiplication and not division. When you begin to experience division in your life because of strife or discord, that is the work of the enemy in your life. It is. Because his plan is to bring isolation, and isolation makes you and I an easy target. But unity, when we're in that harmony, when we're strengthened in that cord, we have peace and we have power to keep running. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says this, A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. We have to be aware when, when offense comes, when discord comes, that we can't carry that. That is a weight we cannot afford to carry. I've done it in my life. It's not worth it. It makes it harder. It makes it heavier. And in the worst cases, it takes us out of the race altogether. And there was a season in our life in those 20 years of the miracle of marriage when we had to make the decision. I said, I don't care what happens. You and I are going to be on the same side of the line for the rest of our marriage. We've spent too much time apart trying to get our own way. And now we have to step on the same, same side of the line to run. I will fight for unity at every moment. Do I get it right a thousand percent? No, not every time. But when, as soon as we catch it, as soon as we realize something's happening, there is a reason the strife is here. We do our best to correct it and change it and really move forward. So what is the practice we need to pick up? The practice is what I'm going to call closing the loop. There are open loops. When there's a break 
in our relationships, those loops are open. And, and, and you may have more than one in your life where, where those relationships are broken. There are seasons and, and times when certain people do not need to be in our life. That's not what I'm addressing. I'm talking about the people you know God has placed in your life, your family members, your friends, your coworkers, the people that God has caused. Those are the people running with you. If there is an open loop in those relationships and you can't move past it in your own, in your quiet time, you can't forgive them and move on, then you need to do whatever it takes to close that loop. Because you and I cannot afford to run with the weight of discord in our lives. So we've gotta close the loop. That means we've gotta assess that on a regular basis, on a weekly basis. Do I have any open loops in my life? Oh yeah, I was a real, I was really rude, like four days ago, and I've never actually gone back and said, honey, I'm, I'm so sorry. So I need to go and I need to close that loop because I can't afford, I can, I can be right or I can win, but I can't have both. Because the only way we win is when we run in unity with the people God's called us to run with. So we have to drop the weight of discord. And the fourth one is this, we have to drop the weight of discouragement. And discouragement steals our strength. Think about the word discourage. We have a bank account of the strength that we need to run, a reservoir. And when we're discouraged, it literally means we are losing the strength that we need to keep running. And there comes a point in every journey where we are tired, we're worn out, where we're not sure that God got the right guy or God picked the right girl. Are you sure? Because I don't feel up to this task. And there are things that he's called you to do that are gonna be bigger than your own strength. They're gonna require more than you have to give. He never calls us to anything we can do in our own strength, never. So there's gonna come a time when you are exhausted and you're like, I don't know if I can go on. Paul experienced that. He had mission after mission. He was beaten, he was imprisoned, he was sent before judges. He, he finds himself, he walks 53 miles to Corinth to, to minister to these people and spread the good news there to the Gentiles. And he is having the worst time. The Jewish people there are opposing him. They're insulting him. And he's just, I'm wondering, because if Jesus could walk through a time of heaviness and weight, I know Paul did, and he probably wondered, what am I doing? Am I the right guy for this job? He needed a deposit of courage. And in Acts 18, 9, verse 9, it says this, The Lord said to Paul by a vision in the night while he was in Corinth, Don't be afraid, but speak and do not be silent. These people were opposing him, so he'd shut up and not spread the good news. He said, speak and do not be silent because I am with you and no one will assault you to harm you because I have many people in the city. So Paul stayed there a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. One word from God deposited enough courage in Paul that he stayed there a year and six months. Do you realize we are responsible to, to, to keep our courage tanks full? We are. We have to monitor them. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 to 9, Paul says this, we are under all kinds of pressure, but we're not crushed completely. We are at a loss, but we're not at our wit's end. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are cast down, but we are not destroyed. He knew his courage levels, and he knew when he needed to fill them, and God spoke a word, and that word sustained him and deposited courage and strength into his account. You know, my daughter's driving now, and, and think about this. We're called to have an adult stance in life, okay? 
We're, not called, we're called to grow up to become adults. And there's a point when we have to take responsibility for our lives. And imagine this, my daughter's a teenager. If she's driving her car and she runs out of gas on the side of the road, and then she calls me and says, you did, I needed my, my tank was empty. You didn't fill it up. It's an adolescent stance. It's a childish stance to say, my tank is empty. Why hasn't anyone filled it? But it's an adult stance to monitor the levels in our lives and to take radical responsibility for, the, for, for where we are and say, I need courage. I need, I need to fill my tank right now. My tank is running low. The light is on. I'm going to have to pull over to the side of the road, and I need some fuel. I need to fill up. I need to deposit in my account because I am feeling worn out, and it's more important to me to finish this race than to look like I know what I'm doing at all times and look strong and happy and pretty, and everyone thinks I've got it all together. It's more important to me than how I look is that I finish. And so I might have to stop and say, listen, I need to deposit of courage because I'm feeling really inadequate right now. This task feels bigger than me. I don't know if I can do it. Will you tell me that I can do it? Will you remind me what God says about me? Sometimes you just need to be reminded what this book says about you. And if you can't get in the word yourself to discover it and that doesn't do the trick, you've got to call a friend and say, remind me of who I am. That's why it's so important to be a part of a family of God that when you need it, you can call on it and you can get a deposit of courage because that's what we're called to do. Encourage one another. Deposit courage in the people in our lives. You and I are called to be courage depositors. To the mom that has small children, I'm called to remind her, this season will be so brief and you're gonna make it. You might feel like you're gonna die right now and these kids are gonna kill you, but you're gonna make it. To the person who's walked through brokenness in their marriage, I my job is to say, listen, I've been there, I know it's hard, but it is worth the fight, and you can do this. God is with you. Your job is to look to the people around you and say, I'm gonna deposit courage when you need it. It's our job to both ask for it when we need it and give it to others. We're called to be courage depositors. We have to take radical responsibility for where we're at. And that requires vulnerability and requires humility. It requires us to say, I don't have what I need right now. I'm feeling weak. Paul said it best, when I am weak, then I am strong. Vulnerability says, hey, I'm not feeling strong right now. But God, whether it's getting in church, whether it's worship, getting in the word, listening to a podcast, phoning a friend, it doesn't matter. We have to take radical responsibility for the courage levels in our lives. Hebrews 12, 12 says this, so stop letting your hands go slack and get some energy into your sagging knees. Make straight paths for your feet. If you're lame, some of you are lame, I'm just saying, make sure you get healed instead of be putting, being, being put out of joint. Make sure you get healed. That means don't run on a broken leg. Get what you need. Take responsibility for your strength. God's given you everything you need to run this race. When you need a word, he's given you a word. He'll speak to your heart. He'll speak to you in prayer. He'll speak to you through a song. He'll speak to you through a friend. But we have to take responsibility. So what, what, is, the, what is the practice that we pick up? 
when we lay down the weight of discouragement, we have to pick up the practice of gauging our courage balance and depositing courage in others. Depositing courage in others. 2 Timothy 4, 7 to 8, we see in Paul's final days, he's about to be decapitated. Like he has written letters to the church. He has traveled. He's gone on missions. And he says this, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. You see, Paul finished his race. He was able to go on and move on to heaven and say, I did it. I know the purpose that God called me for. I know the purpose that I was meant to walk out and I did it. I did it. And I believe God wants every single one of us to be able to say that at the end of our lives. And if you have 50 years, if you have five years, if you have five days left, there's still time. If you've been sidelined and injured, or you just know you are running slow and sluggishly, or you just haven't even accepted the race at all, and it's time for you to step up and get going, there is still time. It's never too late. And today is a beautiful day for you and I, for us to drop those weights. You know, when we first moved here, we were planting a church, we were in our early 20s. Brad is just, he says, you know what, I'm going to get a job, we'll plant a church, and I'm also just going to get a job, because I need to meet people in this community. And I was like, great, that's awesome. So, so he, he goes to 24-hour fitness. If you know Brad, that doesn't surprise you. It's like 100% commission. It is a grind. Like you are working, working, working. And, and he is really convincing. If you've ever met him, he's got a way of persuading you. And uh, I know he's persuaded me a lot of times, purchases and things. But he, these clients would come in and he'd have an appointment. And he'd walk in and he'd meet them. They'd walk in and he'd meet them and he'd hand them a 25-pound weight. And then he'd take them all around the gym and he'd take them to the locker rooms and he'd show them all the amenities and they'd be talking about what the trainers can offer you. And he would, he would go through his whole entire spiel and these people are carrying around these 25 pound weights when they'd come in. And they'd come to the end, this time where he's closing, you know, ABCs always be closing. And he would say, now, I want you to, I want you to set down that weight. How does that feel? How would it feel for you to just drop 25 pounds of weight? And he would just like close the deal in that moment. He signed up so many people. It was awesome. It lasted like six weeks of a job. And then he's like, this is over. <laughs> but think about that. There are weights that you and I are carrying around. And we don't even know it. Like we think we're exhausted. We are breathless. We are having a hard time running. And it's because we're carrying weight that we don't even know. And if we can imagine what it would be like to drop the weight of discouragement, disappointment, discord, distraction in our lives, how much easier would it be to run after everything that God has for us to accomplish? Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.